Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm a feminist, but... When I was involved in an event for women wanting to do comedy, I told them that uh, sleeping with comedians is a bad idea because it's generally a bad idea sleeping with co-workers, especially when we're in a business that doesn't have a, an HR department and because you know you have to work with them for the rest of their lives and because if it goes wrong, they'll have to see them on TV and on sides of buses and because if they don't sleep with the comedians, there's more for me. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but last time I did The Guilty Feminist with Sophie Hagen, I had not had time to wash my hair, and so I was very pleased when she turned up with a messy ponytail. <laughs> and when she took her hair down and it fell into beautiful curls around her shoulders, it felt like a hostile act. <laughs> I'm so sorry about my perfect hair. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but... <laughs> when I wanted to start a Guilty Feminist podcast Tumblr page, I accidentally searched for Guilty Feminist on Tumblr, and I found an erotic story <laughs> starting like this. Maria Theresa... The court of men finds you guilty of feminist ideas and sentences you to 10 years of hard labor, always nude, <laughs> in the women's special prison. But I don't think I'm guilty, sir. I'm a good girl, sir. <laughs> Unacceptable. Therefore, I add the special sexual program to your sentence. And I read the whole thing twice and never set up a tumble page. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I'm looking for a new double act partner <laughs> for my new show, The Regretful Feminist. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I recently bought, on the recommendation of my sister, a product which claims to make your eyelashes look as long and strong as false eyelashes. 
with some enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm a feminist, and I think that I am beautiful no matter what, in any angle, in any light, in any situation, with or without makeup, when I'm bloated or when I'm tired or when I'm sweaty or when I'm happy or when I'm sad, I am beautiful and I wholeheartedly believe that I am beautiful unless I'm sitting in front of the mirror at the hairdressers. <laughs> it's, it's the light. It's the know. light. It's the light. They it, need strong the... light. Yes. Sophie's a feminist. But tonight, when our producer said no, 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 no. they were only no, no. fifty, Shh, no, <laughs> I don't like what you're doing. This. So, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Would we call that consent? <laughs> sure, whatever. But tonight, when our producer said, "Wow, uh, full house tonight," but there's only about fifteen men, Sophie said, "Any that look hot, vulnerable, and single." <laughs> He said, I think they were mostly in couples. She said, what am I even doing this for? (laughs) Deborah is looking for a new double-act partner. (laughs) Live from King's Place in London. the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the insecurities and hypocrisies which undermine them. Deborah, Mm. what was your challenge? Uh, Well, last week I had something happen to me which felt so significant that I thought this is my challenge. Basically, I was coming back from Frankfurt and I was about to go into that, you know the machine now at the airport where you have to hold your hands up to make sure you're not carrying anything dangerous? So as I was about to get into the machine, I had reading glasses on my head and I went to put them into my hand luggage and the chap said, no, no, keep your glasses. So I put them back on my head and I went into the machine and the lady said, no, you have to take your glasses off. And I, you know, was slightly irritated. I wasn't furious. I I was just slightly irritated and I just went, oh, he just said I didn't. Oh, well, never mind. And I went back. But I just sort of told her because I thought if he's saying one thing and she's saying another, it'll slow everything down. I think because I had questioned her, she just decided to pull me out. And she took me into a little pod off to the side. And she started um, feeling me. Now, here's the thing. I travel all the time because I do lots of work overseas. So that was my third flight in 24 hours. I am used to being felt by security people. This is a common occurrence for me. Probably one time in four, you're frisked. And it always feels a bit orange than you black. But she was feeling me in a way that I'd not been frisked before and it was really very thorough and then when she came down to the bottom part normally they feel up your legs up to the top of the thigh but sort of like they don't really want to do it they sort of pat you whereas she felt up and then she said spread your legs and this I have to say I'm very well aware that this is exacerbated for me because she had a German accent And that's not her fault, and that's not real. That's the history of movies and the 20th century. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting into some dangerous water here. I really do. Do we have any lovely German people in? Just say, say, uh, hello. Can you please say something nice to me in a German accent so that I feel good? 
Oh. I love you now and don't want to tell you any more of the story. But the reason I wanted that to happen is I want to say this isn't... I'm just aware that it was sort of slightly exacerbated and I'm aware that that's a complexity that's laid on top. But she said to me, spread your legs. And then she felt up, right up, in a way that was so invasive. And I just went, like that. And she looked up and said, what's your problem? And I just thought, don't argue. Just don't argue. So nothing, just do what you need to do. And so then she went right down the other side and then she came back up and did it again. And then I kind of pulled back. I've never been felt right on my vagina uh, before, ever. Not in that situation. And I have been, just to be clear. (laughs) Oh, I've been touched on the vagina again. (laughs) I don't want to boast, but it's happened more than once. (laughs) But not in this context. (laughs) And, uh, And I was just like, fuck. Uh, oh, uh, and I pulled back at this point because she did it again and it was clearly unnecessary and it was really, really invasive. It wasn't a sexual thing, it was a power thing. And I looked down and she said, what's your problem? And I said, well, I think it's obvious now, what's my problem? And then she stood back and she went, right, you know, I have to call my supervisor. She called a supervisor and she and this other lady, it was an older lady and the lady who'd done the search... Well, started laughing, <laughs> like laughing and talking about me in German. And I was just standing there going, are, are you serious? Because I'd felt really invaded, like a barrier had been crossed. Then the supervisor came up. Supervisor had a clipboard and glasses and looked very official on a mobile phone. And the supervisor didn't look at me at all. Um, she talked to them. And then I heard them say police. And then she started making a phone call and walking off. And I said to the supervisor, can you talk to me? Can you tell me what's going on? And they were just all talking in German. No one would tell me what was going on. And it felt really scary. And then I said to the old lady who was there, what's going on? Could you please tell me what's going on? And she said, we have called the police. And then the other lady who searched me started around and said, what do you think I'm going to do to you? What's your problem? You think I'm your problem? I'm not your problem. And I got really upset. And I said, you should not be allowed to do this job. You should not be allowed to talk to people like this. You do not have the skills for this job. You don't have the training for this job. This is a very invasive thing to do. And you search me in an invasive way. And because they wasn't very busy, there wasn't anyone coming through my machine. But there were like five other machines. And everyone coming through all those machines stopped and stared at me. And then eventually the police came. And it was a policeman. He was so nice to me. And he said, um, ask me what happened. And I told him. And he said, OK, to be honest with you, I don't know if they're allowed to touch you there. I don't know what your rights are. Do you want to fill out a formal complaint? And I was just like, no, I just want to go. So he said, go back in the machine. I went back in the machine. I came out again. He said, we'll have to get someone else to search you now. And then the old lady who'd been laughing at me came over to search me. And I went, no, not you. Not you. You're not touching me. And she went, why? Why? What do you think I'm going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? And I said, no, somebody else. And another lady came over and searched me perfectly normally, in a perfectly normal way, and it was absolutely fine, the way I've been searched a hundred times before, and went. And then the policeman said, you can go. And he said, I'm really sorry that happened. And I just walked through. And when I got through to the gate, everyone was either looking at me or not looking at me. Now, I know they were the only options people had. (laughs) But it felt like the people that weren't looking at me were not looking at me very deliberately. And I got on the plane and just cried. I had to go and do another diversity job, and I just had to get myself together. And I just thought, right, try and process this as much as you can and then just put it away, because there's nothing else you can do. But I know if you sit on that stuff, it ends up coming out later. So I'm trying to sort of process it. It's partly why I'm talking about it tonight. I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like it was definitely an invasion. Her attitude from the top was really horrible to me. And I think it's because I questioned her about the glasses. And here's the thing. I think 
if I came back through Frankfurt regularly and that happened at Frankfurt regularly or wherever it happened regularly, I would become somebody who was much more biddable because I wouldn't want that to happen again. And I thought, this is how it happens, that people become... Because uh, I'm incredibly autonomous. My life is autonomous. I don't have a boss. I'm freelance. I go where I want. I do what I want. And so if anyone tells me to do things, I have a little bit of, oh, why am I not doing exactly what I want to when I want to? Because I'm incredibly privileged and autonomous. And I just thought, you know what? If that was your life all the time, that you were being told to do that and powerful people could invade your space, you would become so coward and so biddable. And that's how it happens, that people get disenfranchised and they either get incredibly angry and fighty or they get incredibly small and cowed. And I thought, in a way, what can I do as someone who has a lot of autonomy and privilege to shift that a little bit for other people? And in America, it happens. If people don't comply, they end up dying. So that was my challenge. Thank you for sharing. Can we... Yeah. That's really just, that just makes me sad and angry. Jesus, um, I don't know what to do. I think you're right, because I was thinking that while you were saying it. I was thinking, this feels so horrible just to hear about it. It must be 10,000 times worse experiencing it. And it must be a million times worse experiencing that on a regular basis. At least you had like the thing about it might be your glasses. Imagine if you had that feeling that you knew it was about your race. My God, imagine being a refugee and maybe not having a passport or having a passport that's meaningless because no one will let you in. And, mm. you know, like, it, this is a real white lady problem that I've got here, and I'm aware of that. Um, yeah, and, and the point, the really good point is you had the question, which was, what can we do? Because we have more privilege than others, so what, how do we use that to stop all of the world's problems? <laughs> Any suggestions? Yeah. yeah. How to change the world. So come on. when I go into investment banks to do diversity and inclusion work is how readily straight white men include themselves everywhere. <laughs> They're self-includers. They just do it themselves. They don't need to be included. And this is because of their life experience. It's nothing particular about being a straight white man because if you take a posh white straight man and put him into the middle of a Colombian drug cartel he will include himself substantially less. He will not always be giving the Colombian drug cartel the benefit of his opinion on everything. He will recognise he speaks the language neither metaphorically nor literally and shut the fuck up because he will understand that he could be killed at any moment and that will make him sit on the fringes a little more. But in the corporate world uh, where straight white men run almost everything and make all of the decisions, he feels free to include himself at all times. I've seen straight white men in the city walk into the wrong room, look around and go, well, it's the right room now because I'm in it. <laughs> I've actually seen that happen. They're, straight white men include themselves everywhere because that's their life experience. And sometimes when I talk to them about it, they say, no, but I've done it really hard. Yeah, I'm a senior partner in this law firm. But my experience has not just been that everything's been easy. I've walked up steps. Uh, I've... I've <laughs> I've had to elbow people out of the way. I've not ended up in the VIP suite just by us lying about. I've put effort in. 
which is true, but what they don't realise is that as they go down the corridor from intern to VIP suite, there have been doors, and they have not seen those doors. Do you know why? It's because when the bouncers see straight white posh men coming, they quickly open the doors before the straight white posh men get there. And so the straight white posh men are really only ever looking at each other. That's the other thing you have to remember. And they're talking to each other in such an engaged way. They do not see the bouncers. They do not see the doors. They just keep walking down the corridor. And every time they come up to more doors, the bouncers open the doors. And then when they've gone through the doors, the bouncers quickly shut the doors. And then a short Korean woman comes up behind and goes, oh, I'm with those white guys. No, honey, you're not. I'm sorry. Your name's not on the door. You're not getting in. And she has to go, no, 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 I'm definitely with those white guys. Those white guys are called Toby and Toby. And that, and that is true. She's guessed well there. She's guessed well. Because she's, she's worked there a long time and she knows that's what they're all called. Um, they're also, she's, 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 called she's known they're called Toby because they had pinky rings. And, uh, and it was a good sexuality. They both went to one of those schools. Uh, and which school? Which school? Which school did they go to? Harrow? No, wrong, Eton. Uh, you're not coming past. So in order for her to include herself, she has either got to uh, get very angry and punch her way past the bouncers and therefore get shouty and then get told in her performance review that she's too aggressive. Or... Oh, there's, there's, there was a murmur there, wasn't there? People have been told that. I've been told that my performance review is too aggressive because I'm fucking aggressive. Because I'm fucking aggressive. I wouldn't be at this meeting. How would I get to the performance review unless I was daily aggressive? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll try and be assertive without being aggressive. I take that feedback on, Toby. for that because Toby doesn't have to be aggressive because he doesn't have to get past any fucking bouncers because he hasn't even seen the bouncers either that or the short Korean woman becomes incredibly persuasive and, uh, and she becomes very good at charming her way past bouncers and then by the time she's in the VIP suite she can piss all over everyone because she's got these in I mean not literally <laughs> I feel that's that's taken a turn now like I've implied that she's sort of kinkily slept her way to the top I don't mean she's water sports her way to the top that's not what I mean but I mean by the time she gets into the VIP suite she is so freaking good at it because she's exercised that muscle and the Tobies don't have that because why would they have ever developed that they've never charmed a bouncer they've never met a bouncer so here's the thing if you've got an opportunity to promote a man or a woman and their qualifications are absolutely identical hire the woman because she's got something extra because she's got to have. Or she wouldn't be in the fucking room in the first place! <laughs> Sophie, what was your challenge? <laughs> well, this is really awkward because I got a job as airport security in Frankfurt. <laughs> so sorry <laughs> I'm sorry for making that joke <laughs> I, I cowed it no, no I didn't cow it out but I, I was very fortunate that my very very good friend uh, the very talented Alison Spittle more or less did my challenge for me she lives in Dublin she's an Irish comedian she did an article about how we need more female comedians and uh, especially in Dublin they have a very small scene and there's not that many women 
And that led to her getting the idea to do a like a workshop and a meetup for women wanting to do comedy. And I, uh, I just clutched onto that. Yeah. I, you know, put it on all the social media. I tried to make, you know, I made bigger comedians, retweeted and all of that. And uh, then eventually I flew over yesterday to do it, to speak to them. And, and Alison and uh, it was me, Alison, Teresa Coyne, Neve Marin, uh, Andrea Farrell and uh, Eve Darcy. A hundred women showed up. Wow. We had a tiny, tiny room. A hundred women showed up. Wow. The, the only thing we had like, announced was that it was a, an event for women like wanting to do comedy. And it was just like a meetup. Uh, so the, the Irish uh, comics were talking about you know, how to get gigs in Dublin and how to go about it. And, and I just said everything I knew about how to write a joke and build up a set. And, and we, we talked at them for about four hours, I think. It felt like when we do these recordings, because it felt like the same kind of women like their questions were so intelligent and they would like some of them would just like stand up and be like hey let's do this and they would be so empowering and they would be so all of a sudden they'd arranged gigs to happen and uh, you know they'd found friends in each other and decided to do comedy together and it was just so amazing it was oh. incredible they had so many questions we kept going we spoke to them afterwards there were a few uh, guilty feminist fans then so <laughs> I felt very important <laughs> Uh, it was just so great. I think the more women can find their voice, whether it be through stand-up or writing or blogging, tweeting, mm. the more we can find our voice and the more we can really not self-barrier. But that's the thing. So a lot of the women, we kind of spoke to them and they said that what had been holding them back was so sweet. <laughs> Most of them said like, oh, I just don't think I'm funny enough. A lot of them said, my friends think I'm really funny and they all say I should do stand-up, but you're not necessarily funny on stage just because your friend tells you. And I was like, Oh, can you tell all the men? Because yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever told them <laughs> that that's true. Yes. Yeah. Was, and I just thought, even the reason why they're not up there being like bad, like this, like when you're a new comedian, everyone's bad. Like in the first whatever, how long it takes you to be good. Some people never get good, etc. <laughs> but there's, I've seen so many men just have the confidence mm. of like a famous a female comic who's been going for thirty years with like pup jokes he made his friends laugh at and then all these women in this room were just like oh I just don't think you know. yeah. like oh my god can you take some of that self-awareness and throw it into the men yeah. and then you get up on the fucking stage yeah I saw this thing on the HuffPo going around that men assess that they need 50% of the skills before they go up for a job. Did you guys see this? Yeah. And that women assess that they need 100% of the skills before they go up for the role. And the conclusion was, see, women need more confidence. And I was like, well, yeah. But also, what would be really great is if men stopped going up for jobs they couldn't fucking do and tanking the economy with their incompetence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
we should bring on our amazing guest. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. Her name is Avery Edison. She's a stand-up comedian. She's a writer. She now lives in England, but I discovered her. I make it sound like I was the one who like, guys, stick with me and I'll make you a star. I became aware of her when she was uh, living in Toronto. This was 2011 and I sent her uh, a fan mail. Yeah, and I will read it to you, but first I think we should welcome her to the stage. Please welcome to the stage, Avery Edison! No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Boundaries. For, for the listeners at home, I've tried to kiss Avery and uh, she said boundaries. <laughs> I think I'm more excited than anyone about our history. I was 21 when I wrote this email and it's so younger than that. Like, it sounds so much younger. I, this is how I started. I was like, God, I have no idea how to start this mail. <laughs> Probably because I have no clue what I want to write. <laughs> It's a waste of your time already. (laughs) I just figured that I should, now that I've been suffering from a writer's block for a few months, and ever since I saw your videos, I've been writing non-stop. And not just on my ordinary, what's up with penises jokes, (laughs) but on something that deeply affects me. As a young comedian, I think you're always worried about your style. Is this what I want? What do I want? (laughs) And even though I've been satisfied with my average sex jokes till now, I guess I just never knew that I wanted to do, well, what you do. I still don't know why I wrote you. You're far more experienced and, well, (laughs) brilliant at what you do than I am. I can just say that you're an inspiration. And now we're here. And now the the restraining order's finally been lifted, guys. (laughs) Run out today. uh, And we're getting married this summer. (laughs) Yeah, and um, you've been on TV, you've got this podcast, uh, you've got a lot going on, and literally no one here has ever heard of me, so... (laughs) Listen, it's the students, out. the student sometimes, you yeah. know, looks at the teacher, steals all the jokes and moves on. Yeah. And that, <laughs> oh, thanks for those, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, now, Avery, you first came to my notice a few years ago when you had been stopped at the Canadian border. Now, I've told a border story tonight. Mm. Your border story is a lot worse than mine. Yeah, mine wins. Yeah, already. They haven't even heard. Tell, I promise you it wins. Can you tell us about what happened? Yeah, so 2014, I think, uh, February, I had just moved back here from Toronto. I'd been there for around three or four years. I'd originally gone over to uh, study and be closer to a girlfriend who lived in Albany, New York. And then after a couple of years, I finished the studying, uh, notice I didn't say the word graduate, Um, (laughs) I finished the studying and I finished with the girlfriend and uh, got a new girlfriend, they happened very, very close to each other, Um, same night, Uh, (laughs) New Year's Eve. Um, We've all been there on New Year's Eve. Yeah, Abby, you've had a bit too much, you should go home. Hi Romy, what's up? (laughs) Um... Almost literally how it happened. Um, 
my studying was done, uh, my student visa was running out, I applied for an extension to stay with my new partner and hopefully get married. And then we uh, didn't do that because I'm not very good at doing things. It's uh, amazing I'm here right now, to be (laughs) honest. And yeah, and so I uh, overstayed my visa and then eventually I came back over here because I figured I would have to do that eventually, uh, if only for the NHS and the prescriptions and stuff. Um, I'm on a lot of pills. It's, you know, it adds up. Um, and then I hated it over here, as everyone should. And I, <laughs> I tried to go back and yeah, I was uh, stopped at customs because they thought I might be staying there permanently. That's not something I can confirm or deny. <laughs> I will say that in my suitcase was everything I owned, all my important documents, uh, sentimental items, birthday cards, but no, I'm just here for two weeks. Um, yeah, they suspected I might be staying longer than I said, and uh, so they pulled me into the, the separate uh, immigration area, and then normally they just put you on a plane and send you back. But I went with an airline that got me there on Monday evening, but didn't have a flight back to England until Thursday. Uh, they said I was welcome to go on a, another airline if I had the, you know, the thing. They said, uh, we've got a spot on British Airways. Do you have £2,000 for the ticket? Um, I don't have £2 for a chocolate bar in the vending machine. <laughs> they couldn't send me back, so uh, normally they would send you to uh, Immigration Detention Centre. They said, it's like a hotel. It's not like a hotel, by the way. But uh, because I had a suicide attempt in my medical history, which they were able to access, they decided I was a suicide risk, and so they would need to put me in a facility that could handle that, and that is a a prison. So they told me they were going to send me to the local women's prison. So the problem is I'm a transgender woman, and when they were taking my fingerprints, I said, I just want to make sure you guys know that I'm preoperative, right? Because as much as I didn't want to throw any other spanners in the works, I also didn't want them to be surprised because the shock. (laughs) Either they react badly or they just completely shut down and you don't want to do that to someone. Uh, So I told them, you know, I'm preoperative. I've still got something resembling a penis. Years on estrogen, it just, it's like... uh, it's like weed killer, it just sort of withers. <laughs> um, they said, oh, okay, we won't send you to the women's prison then. Uh, we'll send you to the uh, men's prison. The, uh, it was three in the morning, escort arrived. They put handcuffs on me, I guess technically manacles, because then they put a belt on and then the handcuffs to the belt and then the ankle cuffs to the belt. This was sort of a short journey from the immigration waiting area to the van outside. We did stop so that the driver could get a subway. Um, uh, I will say one nice thing. I'm a feminist, but I was really happy that uh, when I was in the van, I noticed I was thin enough that I could, if I wanted, I could have slipped my hands out of the cuffs. Hashtag fitness goals. <laughs> so, yeah, the event you said it felt a bit orange is the new black, the mm. search. I have a staph infection, it's somewhat permanent, I think. And so I went through a period a few years ago where I got just 
these horrible pimples on my butt just dozens of them and they've left horrible horrible scars and I think it says something about me as a person that when I was entirely naked and the guard told me to face away from him and bend over I did want to apologize for both the fact that I hadn't shaved and my butt was gross because it was covered in scars (laughs) he said it was fine which is nice (laughs) Um, I didn't stay there long luckily I'd been tweeting when I was still in the airport Uh, They didn't seem to realise that I had my phone on me, which was good. And Toronto Airport, free Wi-Fi, so... (laughs) If it's going to happen anywhere. So, when you were in the men's prison, what was that like? Did they put you into solitary confinement? Yes, uh, they put me in segregated housing, which they said was because of the suicide risk thing. Well, so had otherwise you would have been in with loads of men. I don't know. Maybe they would. They they might have had to be a bit more honest about uh, why they would want to keep me separate. Um, I wasn't there long. Luckily, I was there uh, maybe less than twelve hours because I'd been tweeting. It'd been getting spread around. I was very very lucky to. I've already had a few thousand followers, and so you know, once that germ starts, it spreads, and people were very frustrated because I'm a white, reasonably attractive fairly well-spoken, articulate person and so bad things aren't meant to happen to me um, <laughs> and so I got moved to the women's prison, so I got to go through a second search they weren't as polite, which makes sense because women are catty, aren't they? Um, <laughs> and yeah, then I was there for a further two, three days in solitary and then I got sent back home. So because of this you were able to change some of the processes, weren't you? Or Yeah, so we um, I was uh, lucky enough to be connected with some very nice lawyers who suggested we take it to the Human Rights Tribunal in Canada and yeah, we we won a case against them and the prison changed some of the the things they do, procedures with transgender uh, inmates, which is great. We couldn't get the (coughs) Customs and Border Services to change anything. They wouldn't even accept the case of the tribunal because I wasn't legally in Canada. Um, How do you feel now about the whole North Carolina transgender issue with bathrooms and news across the world? Again, I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky and privileged compared to a lot of other trans people, especially trans people of colour and especially trans women of colour. So I've I've been I've been fine in bathrooms pretty much the entire time. That's not true of uh, a lot of my friends. And the thing to understand about America is it it's a very concerted effort by a couple of quote unquote family oriented groups because they know that gay rights have become accepted and mainstream, and they want to rile their base up and um, make sure money keeps flowing in and support keeps flowing in. And so they've moved on to transgender people and. And it's ridiculous because every person here has shared a bathroom with a transgender person. Every person here has met multiple transgender people in their life and either known about it or not known about it and been fine. Every person in here regularly uses a unisex bathroom in their own home. And, (laughs) And things seem fine. And it's, you know, when trans people are in a bathroom, they're not the risk, they're the people at risk. Again, I, nothing bad has ever happened to me in a, in a bathroom, except for, you know, after some curries. Um, <laughs> but but I, still, I, I still get nervous every time. I still, I still get nervous walking down the street. I couldn't decide what to do with my hair today, so I was convinced that uh, on the way here it started to rain. I was like, great, my makeup's going to come off, everyone's going to know. I'm really a man, it's going to be terrible. How? 
much genuinely you guys do you feel like being a woman in your case being transgender being gay that it, that is a barrier to doing the things you want to do I mean the biggest barrier to be honest is my depression but beyond that um I was meant to I was meant to be a lighter <laughs> but you're the only one I know who would use like depression as a punchline punch yeah and they'd be like why are you guys not laughing yeah. maybe, maybe you could say it like the biggest barrier is my depression yeah phone yeah. delivery um I would but I'm you know depressed <laughs> there we go <laughs> I don't have experiences with much of the world other than online and in comedy. I have never experienced sexism the way I have in the comedy community. It's absolutely disgusting and uh, reprehensible. And not only sexism, but then the denial of sexism mm. and the defense of sexism as a joke or uh, free speech a lot of free speech advocates in the comedy community <laughs> and I wish they would all shut up um, I do want to say two things if you're a woman who's here and interested in comedy go out and do it don't be discouraged by the men also there's a podcast called The Jackie and Laurie Show it's an American podcast by two uh, incredibly well established comedians Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin in the US and they talk about being a woman in comedy and doing it for you know a combined 50 60 years and uh, it's incredible and inspiring and frustrating and also every single woman i've ever met has been funnier than every single man i've ever met <laughs> So how much, as a woman, do you think there are boundaries and barriers? It's really strange, because when I... Before I started doing stand-up, I don't think I've ever used the word girl or woman about myself. It was just never a thing. And then the second I started doing stand-up, I was the woman, and oh my God, you're a woman, and you're a female comic, and woman, woman, woman. And then I became a feminist, and then I started thinking about all the things throughout my life where I had thought that something had happened to me because, you know oh, I was unlucky, or I was in the wrong place, or I said the wrong thing, or I exuded something, and where I realized, oh, wait, no, that's, oh, that was sexism. And I just mm -hmm. assumed it was me. Of course there are things that keep us from doing things, and it's the most frustrating. Uh, in Denmark, there was a few times where uh, the guys, the boys, would go on tour, like comedy tour, and they would be in a backstage room, and they'd say, uh, oh, we need a support act, Uh, we need someone new, a support act, and I'd be like, me, me, I can go, I can go. And they'd be like, ah, no, you see, it's, uh, we're all uh, men, so we need, like, a, another man, because uh, we're going to be drinking and having fun, so, <laughs> so you know. Did you say, oh, I can drink and I can have fun? I, I mean, I didn't have to. They'd seen me drink and have fun. <laughs> But they were just like, nah, you know, ah, uh, ah. Uh. There was that tone of like, oh, you'll just be nag, nag, nagging the whole time. And, it was, and then I just started nagging. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really amazing. There was a, a Danish comic who uh, I was going to do my first open spot, which is like when you've done open mics for a while, there's like a step up where you get to do 10 minutes at like a professional club where people have paid to get in. So it was a really big deal to get my first open spot. And then I was taken off the lineup because... Uh, The first excuse was like a bad excuse. It didn't really make sense, so I dug into it and eventually found out that it was because the, the comedian uh, had said that he was very scared that uh, he was going to get drunk and then we'd had sex and, uh, 
and uh, then he would cheat on his girlfriend, so he would uh, rather have a male support oh. act. The old, I can't control myself defence. No, <laughs> uh, you can't come because I know what I'm like. <laughs> I, what? I, Sorry, no, I can't come because you know what you're like. We're separate people. I screamed a lot at him uh, in front of people who were like, shh, don't tell them. I was like, you yeah, what? And until he uh, gave me another open spot. <laughs> then we had sex. <laughs> Um, it's less of a question and more of a comment, I suppose. That um, given the stories you've shared tonight, I suppose it just you asked what more we could do, and I suppose it highlights the fact that we need more women-only or safe spaces for women to be able to share those stories without the Tobies or the Sosos blocking us and stopping us being able to share those things. So when you ask what more we can do, I suppose it's about when you organise something or you are involved in something, you have a, you know where you can put an input. It's making sure that. Those safe spaces are there, and yeah. those people's voices are able to be heard. That's a, that's a really good point. And if anyone wants to join the Guilty Feminist podcast group on Facebook, people share their stories all the time. People will just go on and go, this happened at work today, not great. And other people will go, well, that's not okay, and we're here for you. And just, I think, being able to share them and reinforce to each other has been really, really great. And now people are starting to talk about meeting up which we're not organising because we don't have that kind of health and safety insurance. Uh, but, yeah, we're loving the fact people are getting together and creating those support spaces through The Guilty Feminist. One of my favourite things that a, a bunch of some friends in America, mostly in the, the literary community, have started doing when they do, like, readings or something, is for the Q&A afterwards, n- no men, because men... They won't ask questions. They won't empathise or anything. They'll just go on their own long, rambly thing or try and problem-solve. Like, I'm sure the the men in the audience here are nice, but I'm, I'm sure you all have great suggestions on what Deborah could have done uh, to not have that happen and what I could have done. Uh, but if you if you guys want to take that idea going Tom, forward... Tom Selinski, the producer, who's also my husband, is doubled over with laughter. <laughs> is that because you do, in fact, have suggestions, Selinski? <laughs> Um, it's because he knows that I'm going to start the hashtag no men. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, if anyone here ever runs events where there are Q&As, try that out as a, a rule. No men. Because once you stop the men from getting up, you'll also notice more women get up. And obviously not a problem here because this is, as far as I can see, mostly women. Which is a shame because I, I wore this because I was going to pull it down and get the tits out for the lads. Um, <laughs> just because I want to... You know, get people to like. I'm I'm gay, so I I don't. Guys don't approach me. Women do. I have a girlfriend, but it's you know, open. Um, I think that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you are a man and you are here, they do really feel welcome at the same time. Uh, do we have one more question over there? Over there. Hi. Thank you so much, Deborah, for sharing your story. I just wanted to um, say to you. I see you, and I hear you, and I think that's all people need to say. I mean, I had a really similar experience at a gig. Hot Chip used to be one of my favourite bands, now I can't listen to them. And for me to call out and say to people, hey, that's not all right, the people around me were kind of like, well, it's a gig, have a good time, it doesn't matter. It's just like, no, like, for, for a start, I'm on my period. Like, I, don't, I don't want that. I think the most important thing is for people to say, I see you, and I hear you, and that's enough, isn't it? Yeah, thank you very much. 
please uh, join us in thanking Avery Edison. Okay. Avery, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, I have the best Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> it's just A. Edison. And I also have a podcast called Swings and Roundabouts. It's very sporadically released, but it's a very well-produced and put-together sort of memoir comedy thing. And uh, it's really, really good. Super. Sophie, hey, did you have anything to plug? I will be going on tour with my new show uh, all over England, bits of Europe and Denmark. If I can get into any of those places <laughs> anymore, no one knows. Uh, well, my new show is called Shimmer Shatter, and I think at any point when you listen to this, this will it'll be somewhere. It'll be performed somewhere. Or it'll be released. Or it'll be I'll be performing it. And for you people here, I'm going to be doing it a few times in London as well. Please do see my new show. That would be cool. I think it'll also be in Edinburgh if you're up at the Edinburgh Festival. And I would like to plug Global Pillage. Uh, which is my new diversity-based panel show. Uh, so you may have noticed when you watch some of the panel shows on TV that there are very few, if any, women on them. This is diversity-based. Uh, all the men I've had on have either been people of colour, LGBT or immigrants. And it turns out I haven't needed any other guys because there's been so many amazing women who's come on. I've already done a series that's out at the moment. You can listen to it at globalpillage.net. Also, there'll be shows coming up at the Edinburgh Festival and in the autumn, so listen out for that. It's another podcast, and it comes out on the off week from The Guilty Feminist. Please go and find us on Facebook. We have an amazing group called The Guilty Feminist uh, Podcast. It's really great. Uh, you have to request to get in, and then we will add you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and uh, it's really fun. It's so much fun. People in there are so cool, and we catch the trolls quite quickly when they get in there and post their penises. And, <laughs> Save the pictures and then like <laughs> forever. Deborah has promised not to do that again. <laughs> uh, go find us on Twitter at GuiltFemPod and go to our iTunes and rate and subscribe. Give us a five star rating and uh, or, or uh, as many stars <laughs> as you deem. Deborah, yeah. uh, how many stars have you? given it on iTunes I've not reviewed my own show correctly. have you not reviewed it no for fuck's sake Debra have you reviewed your show I've not reviewed it because I can't review your own show yeah I wrote I wrote uh, it's very good but I may be biased oh is that you oh I thought that was someone's mum or something I the rest was you my mum won't do it but <laughs> I can you go on Deborah, give it five stars. We don't need it. We've got hundreds of five-star reviews we from need other it. people. Shh. We need uh, it. But we'd love you to review it with as many stars as you deem appropriate. Five. 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 That's what you think. You have been listening to The Guilty Sophie was joking. Unless you're uh, single and looking. Okay, they were done that. <laughs> Just go, mm, if you're, if you're no, single. We've done this at so oh, many oh. gigs where you're trying to set me up with someone. And it hurts when it doesn't work. <laughs> Fuck off. Oh. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.